Thank you, Bishop, so much. Appreciate the honor it is to be able to fill this pulpit on Jubilee night, Jubilee service. I indeed count it as a privilege and an honor with so many qualified ministers in the house tonight and uh, such great, great men of God that I get to labor amongst God's wonderful people with. God has truly blessed me. He truly has. And I so appreciate everything that he has done for us. And I want to mirror Bishop's remarks. We have truly been for the better with our lives being involved with Truth Church. God has truly, truly helped us. And I so appreciate what he has done for us. And um, it has been a great honor to be in service. This morning, I, I was sitting here knowing that I had the lot, I had the shortest straw to preach tonight. And Bishop preached a masterpiece. And I'm sitting here thinking, dear Lord, what am I going to do? And I asked Sister Goff, I said, where is the Betty Lucan's felt stories? Because that's all that's left. Because he has nailed it out of the park. Because all I can think of is David and Goliath. Let's do it. Let's just set up the easel. Let's Sunday night, Jubilee service, we're going to do it. And God has given me a word, and I want God to touch us tonight. I, I really do. Uh, I, I, I fully expect God to help me. I feel his presence even now, and I want God to minister to us. Amen. In Psalms chapter 27. Amen. Psalms chapter 27. I'm going to be reading the first part of Psalms. Verses 1 through 6, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, come upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. One thing have I, and though war should arise me against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that I will seek after him, that, my may, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, he shall set me upon a rock, and, shall, and now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Amen, amen, amen. If we can lay our Bibles down and ask God to talk to us today, and ask God to honor our sacrifice of worship in this service, let's do that today. Heavenly Father. Ask you, Jesus. Amen. 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 You may be seated this evening. I have an immense amount of groundwork, and I don't apologize because uh, I believe God has given me a direction for this message, given me this message. So just bear with me, but don't sit on me. That's all I ask. The will of God is the stage in which God will deal with my problem, will deal with your problem. The will of God is elusive to those people who do not pursue it, but rather expect it to drop into their lap. And speaking of the will of God so often can cheapen it when we make common references to it, and it is not actually working in your life. You're speaking about something that may not be working uh, fully and flourishing in your life and some people are okay with just thinking that church services is their will of God in their life however there is many other things as Bishop was talking about in handing out of the flyers and witnessing and and it should come that ministering to others is the will of God in your life 
We're walking out of the house before we come. I was finishing getting rest, ready for church, and uh, the children had ran out to the vehicle, and, and Sister Golf and I were in the house, and I heard the doorbell ring, and, and I'm in the bathroom, and, and I said, Honey, I think there's someone at the door. Maybe it's one of the kids, and she goes there, and, and it wasn't. It was actually someone inviting us to their church. And I was not able to partake in the conversation. I was grabbing my stuff going out the door, but... The crux of it is, Sister Goff was saying, how do you know you're saved? He asked, how do you know, how do you know you're saved? She turned around and said, how do you know you're saved? And he's, uh, well, uh, John, John says, and she says, well, here's a truth conference flyer. You're handing out stuff in my neighborhood, here you go. And hands him one. You know what, you never know, you never know what could happen. But the will of God is for us all to minister. We should all be doing something concerted towards the will of God being in our life. Daily prayer aligns you with God's will. Daily prayer aligns you with God's will. It sets the theme in which he's wishing to commune with you. And I could take a rabbit trail of my own personal experience but not every prayer meeting that we get into is a weeping time and a, of repentance. And it's not always just a rejoicing in his blessings. And nor is it always just petitioning God. You'll find when you look back in my life, I found that when, I've, when God really, really touched me, there was a theme. He was wanting me to get somewhere where he was. It wasn't, about, it wasn't about him coming to where I was. He was trying to align me for my day. And when my problems arise, he was trying to tell me, here's where you will find me. Here is the informational center for today. And it, 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 most recently, uh, in one particular instance, I had a, a dire need and I came and I presented it to God and nothing. And I began to talk and nothing. And I said, all right, God, I'm just going to hold this for a second. But I'm going to try to find you where you're at. And where I found him was when I took myself to the throne room of God. When in my mind, I may have been in this sanctuary, but in my spirit, I was looking up at the master. And I said, God, all of my problems just faded away. And I began to talk to him. And I began to talk to him if it was just me and him in his throne room. And you know what? It was amazing what happens. And you could give instances of others that you have done yourself. And, and the will of God is to be pursued after. And many find themselves in a drought with God. And their pursuit is limited to the familiar. And it's within the secure sanctuary of their own comfort zone. And they think of it, if you could, in this way. Uh, you are in the pit of despair. And instead of trying to pull God into you, why not let him pull you out? But the, the pit is safe. No one's in there with you. But God's saying, my child, here you go. And he throws down a rope. And we say, oh, who's ever up there? You need to come down here to help me. But God's trying to pull you out of a pit tonight that you have made home. That you have settled into. You started marking on the walls. One day, two days, three days, four days, five. And you start calling it home. And God's saying, why don't you come up out of there? Why don't you crawl your way out of there? And we say, oh God, why don't you come down to where I'm at? But he say, why don't you come up to where the glory is at? The droning monologue of your prayer, walking back and forth or kneeling in your pew or beside your bed or at your recliner. And you say the same things over and over with no results. And you yet to find him. Because you're looking for him in the same place, in your pit of despair. Always trying to fit God into your environment of familiarity instead of pursuing after God's glory. And we wonder, where is God in my life? To visualize the capabilities of God, the vastness of God's abilities... And to set the stage, and if you will, 
I know it'll be a little bit different tonight, but just bear with me. I want to take us somewhere through Scripture, but before we get there, I want us to think about it and get somewhere and visualize a location. How many have been to the Grand Hall at Union Station in Kansas City, Missouri? Everybody familiar with the location? It's a vast building, a massive building. And the room that you go into, if you go in and you walk down at the very beginning, you look up and there's a clock. And you look straight ahead and there is an enormous room. And all along the walls is doors. There are doors present on each side. And there's even doors on the end of that grand hall. That is a massive, massive building. God, if we will, now let's step over to his capabilities. Now, for the sake of the example, let's magnify the room by 10. Lengthen it by 10. And have doors on top of doors on top of doors. That seems to be that you can't even find the end. And that's the room we're going to talk about tonight. Matthew chapter 7 talks about what's on maybe all of those doors. On each one of those doors, there is a capability of God. And right below it, it says, ask, seek, and knock. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7 says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. Psalms chapter 34 and verse 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me, he delivered me from all my fears. Now let's talk about your door. Your door is a small, teeny, tiny door. Much like if I could, in the visualization of doors, it's much like the little Keebler elf and his little door in the tree. Don't act like you don't know what a club cracker is. That's your door. Your little arch door tucked away at the very back of this grand, grand hall of God. Very little. Minuscule. Can barely even see it. That's your door. That door and the cozy, tight quarters behind the door is all yours. When we open our door, it's much like the suspicious person when you're knocking doors saying, I have a flyer, and they uh, crack the door open and quickly snap it out of your hand and close the door behind them quickly. Uh, oh, thank you, thank you. And they cannot close the door quick enough. And sometimes the response is, I'll get it later. Just leave the invitation on the door. I'll find it later. Oh, got it. Okay. And we back away. And we go to the next room. And think of it this way. It's we reach our hand outside the door long enough to pinch off just enough of God to say we touched him and to satisfy our immediate need. Now, you walk in the kitchen and you smell fresh dough rising. And mama's there. And Sister Hilton, I know you make some wonderful cinnamon rolls and you... No doubt the house is full of that aroma. And you smell it and it's great. And no doubt, eventually, there's going to come a kid that come meandering through and took their tithe off of mama's labors and walked away. Sometimes it may happen with the dough before it was even cooked. And they say, oh, that was so good. They can't say they had a cinnamon roll. They can't say I had mama's best because she wasn't done with it. We do the same thing to God. We walk in the house of God, raise our hands, shake our hanky, do a little jig. Didn't we feel God? But did he change you? What is available to the children of God? That little door of ours opens up into this vast hall. 
And it's lined with doors that we only have to go and ask. And inside of each of one of these doors is the limitless capability that God wants to use to do miracles for his children. But I must call out, the door is not the limitation of God. It is the sign of our intent. Ask, seek, and knock. One such door is creation. And join me as we go through that door this evening. I wore my NASA socks today because I really, really, really like science. Some of you may say, Brother Goff, you've lost your rocker. They say creation was this, and they say time and carbon dating, and we'll get to all of that. But in my opinion, science proves there's a God. It proves that my Bible is correct. I support their efforts. I don't send them money, but I sure do like it when they say, we thought we knew. We'll get to that. An article that I found this last week, I'm not big in social media. I don't do much as far as news. Every time I read them, it is so depressing. But I found something that enlightened my soul. It blessed my heart for the sake of science. BBC News says astronomers have discovered a giant planet they say should not exist. Quoting them, according to current theory, theories, it contradicts a widely held idea about the way a planet is formed. The finding challenges the widely held idea of planet formation as a core accretion. But the authors argue that the disks around the small stars don't provide enough material for this to work. Instead, they consider it more likely that the planet forms suddenly when part of a disk collapsed due to its own gravity. They thought they had it all figured out. How a smaller star could then, with its gravitational field, pull in matter and it began to form and create itself a planet and began to have it go around its rotation of the star much like the sun does to the planets and they thought they had it all figured out but they says we don't know why this exists i do i know the answer ask me i'm i'm at the back of the class saying I know. Pick me. Pick me. Pick me. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I know how the universe was created. I know who created it. And I know what day it was created on. Ask me. A ask me. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form, and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. I love this because my mind, think about it. We just read something. There is no light. There was no universe. There's just an earth and a heaven. And upon this earth is nothing but water. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. Not the deep of the water. But there was no light in the universe. So thus, this ball of water had nothing but darkness surrounding it. Darkness and water. That's all there was. That's it. Day one. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. Pastor, you preached all about my message this morning. You were hitting, holding ones, all from my text and everything. And God saw the light and that it was good, and God divided the light from darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. So we find that God created light, and he saw that it was good. The source of light was what? His word. The source of light was his word. He spoke it into existence he said let there be light when there was no light and his word said 
let there be light, and poof. Now let's look at it another way. The universe did not have a sun or any other light source at that time. All we have now is a ball of water and a universe lit up, if I could use the example, like this room tonight. There was no source of light. There was the presence of light. And God said, now this is good. I like this. As he begins to turn this ball of water that we live on called earth and say, this is good. There was no dark side of the earth. Because when light was there, there was no darkness. When the word is there in present in light, there is no darkness in him. God divided light from darkness. And after he sees this, he says it's good. And God separated it. And he says, all right, I will reintroduce the absence of light by allowing darkness to come back. Let's pause there for a second. Man has exceeded the speed of sound through man's invention of the jet airplane. Chuck Yeager, we all know his name. October 14th, 1947, he was the first man to exceed the speed of sound Speed of sound in dry air, 68 degrees Fahrenheit, is 768 degrees. You too can uh, exceed the speed of sound by using a whip. That crack is something exceeding the speed of sound. Just as it is in the kitchen as a young person, and you get that wet dish towel, and you start to spin it, and you reach over to someone unsuspecting, you gave them greater than the speed of sound. And it's broken once again as you as the younger brother takes off greater than the speed of sound with an older sibling coming behind you with a whelp on their thigh. It has been broken twice. Man may have exceeded the speed of sound. However, they say it is impossible. Everybody say impossible. Impossible for man to travel greater than the speed of light. The speed of light, I'll leave off all the extras, is over 670 million miles an hour. If you were going the speed of light, you would have traveled the earth over seven and a half times in one second. That's the speed of light. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Stephen Hawking said it this way, only light or other waves that have no intrinsic mass can move at the speed of light in 1988. Let's talk about the speed of light. I apologize if I'm boring you, but just hang with me for a moment. Data transmission. A quote from the scientific journal. The answer to whether meaningful information can travel faster than light is currently no. We are only at the level of moving a few quantum particles at speeds that may be possible at over the speed of light. If the speed of light, further down in the article, is broken, we'll be applying it to our internet transmissions far sooner than interstellar travel. Our ability to watch the highest quality television and surf the net at the fastest speeds will be paramount. And perhaps for those purposes, even getting ourselves to truly as fast as light transmission would do wonders. Now when I read that, I say, we can break the speed of sound. We can't break the speed of light. What really is man dabbling with here? 
When we think of man trying to be like God, our most recent example of that that we find, it comes back in the Bible as the Tower of Babel. And we see how God handled that situation. And I don't want to get out here in left field, but in my mind, my opinion, the modern day Tower of Babel is the thirst of man's knowledge and how much smarter we are than people in the past. And since we are so much smarter, we must be smarter than God. Because we can get information almost, and we're trying to get it at the speed of light. I have to have it. We have, uh, we have and, and, and if you're honest, you'll think about it. You, people get addicted to social media because it's information, information. Got to have it, information. What's going on around me? News articles, information, information, information. Uh, the, the places, all the filth that you'll find on places of Reddit, it's everything that someone thinks is important, and they post and post, and you comment, and you comment, and you like, and you share, and it's just an overload of filth of information. It's their pursuit to have the most knowledge possible. Now let's go back to Genesis. In Genesis, on day four, God created the sun, moon, and stars in verse 14. And God said, let there be light in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let there be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made also he made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Time was created. Time was created to reconcile God's creation back to him. Think about that. Time is a unit of measure to let us know if we have worshipped our creator. Each day is a new day. It provides us the opportunity to sync up our priorities to God. If we had no time and no sense of time, you could get wrapped up and binge something from the filth of this world and never have something to interrupt you to say, go to sleep and wake up in the morning and you say, what a waste of time that was. I need to find a place to pray. Time. God doesn't need time. You talked about that this morning. One day, thousand years. God does not need time. However, we need time. Time allows us to understand when we've lost track of time when we've lost control of time, when we look back and say, I did something that was a waste of time, we always think back, I wish I could turn back time and fix a problem, a mistake that I did. It's all to reconcile us back to God who lives without the realm of time to say, God, I need your forgiveness. And time no longer is an issue. God, I need your touch. And so today as we stand on the precipice of creation, we walk through that door. I ask you to pick up your problem one more time. One more time. You've been dragging it service after service, day after day. And if you'll be honest and truthful, you'll say, yeah, Brother Golf, I'm wrestling with something. I want you to pick it up one more time. And I want you to put it in the presence of the Almighty God, the creator of the universe, and let him handle it. As God had created light and darkness, actually, he created light. And then we go to day four. And then he begins to flick planets out. And begins to place them. In the universe. Stars. As he goes through. There you go. And begins to place them. So far out. That we see their twinkle. 
but they are light years away from us. The vast expanse of this universe is so great, so wonderful, so mighty, that if you were to take God's point of view from earth, now we sing these songs that say, your mountain is just a hill from heaven's point of view. And we sing that, and we'll shed a tear, but then we still grab that problem, and we drag it with us. I want to take us to the universe from God's point of view. Allow us to stand there and look at all the stars, everything around us. I only thought when we were in Fruita, Utah, when I woke the kids up and said, let's go out and look at the Milky Way. It's like laying on your face so pitch black and so rich. Let's go beyond that. Let's step back and look at the universe. And we'll look down and you can see the earth doing its rotation. You see all the other planets moving as God ordained them to move. And you look over and you'll see stars and the heavens and all of his creation. And then you will look down at earth and you'll see a something shoot off of earth. And you look a little closer and you... We'll use modern day language, we'll pinch and zoom. And we'll pinch and zoom. What is, that's got a flame behind it. That's a rocket ship. It's a feeler from humanity saying, is there anything out there? We are launching rockets and satellites and payloads and countless, countless endeavors all the time, SpaceX, NASA, they're all trying to do something to go out, out from the place that God created. They're trying to, as I went to NASA, been there several times, and, and they say, we're so proud of our efforts. We're going to go, and we're going to go inhabit Mars. We're going to go to Mars. My God didn't call me to go to Mars. I want nothing to do with Mars. I love the desert. Don't like Mars. You can't smell cinnamon rolls in Mars. That's a freeze-dried meal that you put water in and maybe heated it up with some friction. And that's the closest you're going to get to a home-cooked meal that was made down here on Earth. This boy needs to eat, and Mars does not replenish this. And they say, we're going to go live on Mars. No. You're going to go put a little octagon building, and you're going to say, we're living on Mars, yay, yay, news, 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 movies, interview me, interview me. No, you live in a little hexagon located on Mars. You have not inhabited Mars. Mankind, in their pursuit of knowledge, has spent trillions of dollars sending people and ships, and satellites, and they send them, and they go for 10. They're designed to go for five years, and they say, well, we're just going to let it go because we can't do nothing with it. It's still talking to us, and they go for 10, 15. I think one went 20 years, and they still haven't found the edge of our God's creation. And these little, another ship goes, zoom back out, and it seems like they're not even moving when we see heaven and the heavens and the universe from his point of view. And we wonder, God, you're so awesome. You're so mighty. You made all of this happen. Day four, he planted everything out there. And then he goes, and it's kept doing it ever since he touched it. And it just goes like clockwork. So much so that they can say, oh, the moon we just had, we won't have it for another 20, 40 years. The eclipse, it's going to happen on this day. And it's going to go across this longitude, latitude, and cross here and fade off. On this year, on this day, book your hotel trip. It's going to happen. That's how consistent our God is with his creation. He said it in motion with his word. He gave it to us. 
All of creation worships Him at the start of a new day. And to the ending of the same. You may think, oh, that bird, it doesn't have a choice. No, God puts something down deep in them. It's not about, look at me, look at me. No, He's saying, I have a Creator. I'm going to recognize my Creator. I'm going to look at my Creator and thank Him for one more day. God expects total submission to Him. Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 8. He says, I am the Lord and that is my name and my glory. Will I not give to another neither my praise to graven images? We find that God wants us to praise Him. And we sit here and we look at our problems and we say, I have a problem. I have a problem. No. Stop. You have a creator. You have a creator. We walk through the door of creation tonight in this illustration. You need to lean on his everlasting arms like you never have before and say, God, let everything pass away from my life and let me focus on him. Let me give him what he's due. Let me lift my heart and give it unto him. God wants us to be able to worship him. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light as he is the light, is in the light, we have fellowship one with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from sin. Look back on verse 5. It says, and we have heard from him. It's not of him. It does not mean respecting him or about him. It is from him. That is what we have received from his preaching. This is the word that we received from what he said when he was down here on earth. This is Jesus Christ speaking light into our life. We can talk about somebody. I can carry a message from Bishop to somebody. But Jesus says, this is me. God is light. The light in the scriptures is the emblem of purity and truth and knowledge and prosperity and happiness. As darkness is on the opposite. John here says that God is light, not the light or a light. But the light, he in himself, he in himself is all light. That is the source and the fountain of light in all worlds. God, we limit him to time, but God exists beyond the realm of time. And he sweeps through and he touches and he changes. When we stand up in our testimony and we say, I don't know where my help came from. It had to be the Lord. He's dipping through time and picking you up. We can stand here and say, there is a God. Science can say, I don't know how that planet came into existence. I go back to Genesis. I have a God that did that. I know somebody. He did that. He is perfectly pure, without any sin. He has all knowledge, with no mixture or ignorance on any subject. He is infinitely happy. There's nothing to make him miserable. He is infinitely true, never stating or countenancing in error. God is blessed in all his ways, never knowing darkness and disappointment and adversity. God achieved power and victory in everything. Here's what I want to talk about. We may ask, what does creation relate to me in finding the will of God? It is because there are times you have to take your problem there. To stand in the glory of creation. To stand there and say, God is greater than any problem I have. And what you'll find is your grip begins to loosen. And you begin to look and you stand there in awe and you say, wow. 
all of creation. This is his. And we stand there in awe and we wonder, how did I get so lucky for someone to tell me about Jesus Christ? How did I get so lucky to get filled with the Holy Ghost? Baptized in Jesus' name. And his light to flood through me, to pull me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. As the song says, to put my feet on straight street. And now I'm living right. He did a great thing. He did a great thing. But yet, we hold something. And we say, oh, I don't feel it. Oh, yeah, they're worshiping. I just don't feel it. The reason you don't feel it is because you're still dragging something around behind you. It's leaving a mark behind you. The reason there's no joy in your heart, you're dragging something behind you. But I have the answer. There's a creator that holds everything in the palm of his hands. This universe, the one we know about, is right here. And he looks at it all. The one that man has yet to find the edge of is right here. Every problem in his hands. Oh, he's got the whole world in his hands. No, 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 no. He's got everything he has created in his hands. Don't limit God to just this little marble called earth. Don't limit God to your problem that you find sitting on your pew. When you pray for revival, don't limit it to what Bishop said this morning about within these four walls. It's greater when you have your problem before God, I can't, I don't know, I'm weak, I keep giving up, I don't know what to do. Your problem, take it out of your little cave. And say, you know what, I, there's a door I need to walk through. And you grab that problem. And you drag it. And you go to your door. And you say, door, I've closed you for the last time. And you walk through. And you say, God, I'm looking for you. I've got something to give you. I've been dealing with this for way too long. I've been dealing with this for way too long. My addictions, they're yours now, God. My attitudes, they're yours now, God. I'm looking for a door. There's a door. There's a specific door. I'm looking for and you walk down that hall and I tell you what you can open up any door any door the door you're looking for is the one you're willing to go God I need you I need you and when you walk in that door you will see the vastness of your God and as we are here today, we stand on the balcony of creation and we watch him flick stars and we watch him flick moons that gather around planets and we watch him form the Milky Way and he just grabs it and just... And we stand here on our earth and we stand in awe. Our problem, we can just leave right there. And we can say, God, you've got it. It's in your hands. Any door, saints, any door. You can walk through joy. God, I need joy in this situation. He don't care. He don't care. But you're so afraid. There's so many doors. Boo-hoo. As Xander would say, boo-hoosers. God doesn't care. He says, cast your cares on him. Where is he at? Behind every door. Cast your cares on him. Any door. It don't matter. But you got to walk out your small-minded room that limits God. Your little arched door that you've slammed so many times that it's worn the varnish off. And you say, I've been here for a long time. This is my place. No. You keep trying to pull God in and you pinch a little bit off. And you say, oh, I felt God. No. You felt somebody else feeling God. 
and you just took a little bit of him and oh didn't we have a good service this morning and God is great and his exceeding greatness and we say Sunday night's going to be better and I still have my cotton picking problem. God wants to help you. Just because you can name a problem in theory and describe what should happen does not mean that you know what the will of God in your life is. Your problem is you're applying human logic to God's will. You're saying this is what should happen based on God's past performance. This is God's plan for my life and you get in this rut and this cycle and you never have victory and you sit there and say, God has been good to me. That's all I can really say. But till you walk on the battlefield and you say, he's my provider. He's my victory. He's my friend. Although I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because he is with me. He is with me. That's the will of God in your life. When you say, problem, I'm leaving you in this store, and I'm going on in victory. I'm going to walk in him. I'm going to trust in him. He will take care of me. We try to form patterns and base the will of God, and we limit God in the present, and we don't let him to get, well, we don't let him get bigger than our past. And by taking you to places that God's greatness is, you then are able to place your problem in the hands of God. And we get to our text. I'm closing. If the musicians would please come. There's a place. There's a wonderful place that God wants to take you tonight. In my frustration... I don't apologize for it because I feel your frustration. You can't seem to overcome this problem. I asked you to pick it up one more time. Because this time, you're going to walk out of your small-minded, God is only, and you're going to go explore God in an altar, and you're going to say, God, I'm leaving at your feet this last time. You have to be able to do that. Otherwise, it will conquer you. Psalms chapter 27 and verse 1. We read this in our text. A psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He's a burning light is what Jesus Christ is. He owns what he has shown to us. Think about this for a second. He is light. And the only light we have is borrowed. There's something else that borrows light. The moon. The moon has no light source. The moon is a reflection of the sun. We as children of God, we have no light. The absence of light is darkness. And when we have the light of Jesus Christ in our life, then we can walk out and we can make a difference to those around us. But we keep in mind, don't get too big for your britches. You are borrowing that light. No matter how talented you think you are, you can write, you can preach, you can, you can sing, you, you can play an instrument, you can go and lead business meetings, and you can lead the planet, and you can be the greatest and most powerful in the world, and God blesses you if he does, and you're just borrowed light. The moment you say, look at me, people see the dark side of the moon, and they say, I don't see nothing. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. But David goes on to say what light had darted upon him to reflect upon them. The Lord is my light. God is a light to his people to show them the way when they are in doubt. To comfort them and rejoice in their hearts for when they sorrow. We find David 
prior to getting on the throne in this psalm. And he has people after him. When the wicked, in verse 2, even my enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Because the Lord is my light and my salvation. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Through the war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing that I have, have I desire of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. But let's not stop there. Because so many people come to church and they just stop there. There is a special place. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. And he shall set me upon a rock. Verse 6, I'll just read it just for the sake of reading. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies around about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. And I will sing yea and I will sing praises unto the Lord. The secret of his tabernacle. Let's talk about that for a moment. It's in the midst of his most retired and private part of his dwelling. You can walk in the church doors and you can say... I came to church. Brother Weems, he greeted me. Just because you walked in the back doors does not mean you came to church. You can walk into the foyer. Just because you came to the foyer. You hear the songs, you hear the preaching. You might even walk back and forth, say a few prayers, say a few things. You didn't come to church. You can walk down the hallway, past the bathrooms. You can come in and look through the doors. You didn't come to church. You can come in and sit on the pew and clap your hands. Wave your hand. Say amen. You didn't come to church where David went. In the most retired and private part of his dwelling, he would not merely admit him to the premises not only to the vestibule of his house, not only to the open courts or to the parts of his house frequented by his family, but he would pull David in to the private apartment, the place to where we, which he himself withdrew to be alone. That's where David ended up. When he says, you are the Lord, my light and my salvation. God revealed to him when he gave him everything. When he says, you're greater than my problem. And he walked to the balcony and he says, I need a secret place from my Savior. Can we stand today? It was the secret of his tabernacle. The most retired place. And you can't sit there with your problem and say, it's going to be okay. I've been able to make it 23 years, 15 years, 10 years. I'll be okay. God has always given me a place of repentance. That may soon run out. That is not always guaranteed to be there. Repentance. Repentance does have a wick. Time does continue to tick. But when you can make your place to the private place of God and you find yourself kneeling at his feet and you look up and you see his face and your problem is left there, now you found God. Now you have been to church. If you came in with a problem today, Anybody could say, yeah, I've got one, Brother Golf. Yep, you're talking to me. 
But I'm talking to somebody who's been dealing with it for so long. For so long. God is tired of it. God is tired of it. Because you have so many latches on your little door. I'm safe in here, God. God's saying, any door. Just walk through any door. I'll take care of it. But you're so, I'm, I'm comfortable. God, I've got a rug that I have a beautiful rug. It's mine. It's, I have a little lamp I can turn. It's mine, God. And we have our problem wrapped all around us. And God's saying, enough. Just walk out the door and find me. And find me. I'm right here. I'm calling your name. I'm asking but you want to just baby that addiction. You just want to baby that attitude. You want to baby that thing that you're holding on to. But it's keeping you from the private place of God. And before you know it, you'll dry up like a tumbleweed. Because you have nothing more to add to you. And you'll crawl with your last dying breath back to your door and you'll pry it open with your bloody fingertips and you'll say I'm safe but in the meantime you crawl past every door where God just says just ask just ask your problem God wants it that rock that we go to that David talked about was not the third rock from the sun it was the rock that is Christ Jesus, that is higher than I. It's the one that gives the answers for us today. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. You have to be tired of dealing with your problem in order for you to come and lay it down. And God's wanting you to do that tonight. I'm done, but I believe you have an appointment with God. God gave me a word. Now, it's off of me. This preacher still cares. But the word is now on your ears. If you're not what you should be, why don't you try putting your problem in the proper place? Not in that little tree house with that little door that looks so cute and so quaint and so... Open it up. Open it up. And walk down that hall and say, God, the first door I find. The very first door I find. Because my problem with lust, I'm dragging it to you. My problem with perversion, I'm dragging it to you. I think I can hide it. I think I can deal with it. I think I can manage it. You can't manage sin. I'm going to say that one more time. You cannot manage sin. Only God can manage sin. It's because He overcame it. He defeated it. There's victory in Him. Stop trying to manage your problem. I don't care what your title is. I don't care what your history is. I don't care how smart you think you are. Stop trying to manage your sin. God wants you to give it to Him. God wants you to lay it at His feet and say, God, I thought, I thought, I tried. But stand there in all of His creation and say, God, I'm leaving this right here in the greatness of you. And I'm just going to bask in your glory. I'm going to look at your glory. And you know what your problem, God picks it up and he crushes it and he washes it with his blood. Can we lift our hands and talk to him tonight? Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. God's given somebody a word. God's reaching for somebody one more time. God's trying to tell you, stop trying to manage your problem and give it to the problem manager. 
He's frustrated. He's saying, I've done everything. I created, I touch, I reach, I've given you limitless access. Just ask. Can we find us a place to pray tonight?